0: Father, we thank you that you cared enough about us that you have always spoken to us from the moment in the garden when you created the first human beings all the way to Jesus Christ who is the final and fullest revelation. You have always spoken to us kindness. You have always spoken to us everything that we need so that we can understand and we can move forward in our relationship with you and in our relationship with one another and in our relationship with the whole of the world. And so we pray, Father, as we continue studying uh, the Westminster Shorter Catechism, will it, we pray that it will continue to give us deeper and greater insight into your words, that we can better understand all these things. And we ask this, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, folks, we continue our work through the Shorter Catechism. We're going to get into some fun stuff today and deal with... Uh, some interesting things. So if you grab your catechism, again, you can use your own copy. You can use um, the one that is in the Trinity Hymnal. I think last time we were saying we were around page 870. Well, we're going to do something a little different before you look. As you know, if we look up here, we've been working our way. The catechism is working its way through what is known as the order of salvation, or for those who like the Latin terms, the order of salutis. Very simply, it's this. In Jesus or rather, I just say Jesus, accomplishes our redemption, right, with his substitutionary life, with his substitutionary death. He actually accomplishes our salvation. But in due time, the Holy Spirit comes and applies that redemption to our lives. And that's what we're looking here. Last week, we looked at um, uh, the questions having to deal with effectual calling, which is where we hear the gospel But we're not able to respond to the gospel until the Holy Spirit regenerates us, makes us a new creation, grants us the new birth. And at that point, we are able to respond. So we spent some time there. And then I mentioned last week that what the uh, catechism does is it deals initially with everything that the Holy Spirit does. And so it deals with effectual calling, does not deal with conversion which is what we do in response, and then jumps down to these other points. But I do want to keep the order going here, so I'm going to ask you that rather than turning to the next question in the 30s, let's flip all the way to question 86 and 87. 86 and 87. And then we're going to deal with these two issues here of faith and repentance in 86 and 87. Right. If after all, effectual calling, as we've said, if it truly is effectual and regenerates, must necessarily lead to a person's conversion. So that's what we're going to do here. So if I can have somebody read question 86 along with the answer. All right. Thank you. So there is the question dealing with faith. And now we're going to look at repentance. And before we read that, let me just say that when we talk about conversion and you notice I put repentance and faith as subheadings. They really are flip sides of the same coin. They always go together. You cannot have one without the other. They aren't distinct. They're not the same thing. But they are, like I said, flip sides of that same coin. You cannot have, just like you can't have just the heads on a coin, you must have the the other side the tails. So it is here. So let's go ahead and have somebody read 87. All right, thank you so much. Perfect. So there we have it. Faith and Repentance. Two things which we're going to take a little bit out of turn, but in order to keep this chart or this flow going, so let me just say a few things. If you look at it, both questions begin with uh, with stating that faith is a saving grace. Repentance unto life is a saving grace. If you think of Ephesians chapter two, verse eight, familiar passage, the one that says, "For by grace you are saved by fa- or through faith." And this is not of yourself, it is the gift of God. So clear, it clearly shows that our faith is something that is not something that we work up, but is given to us, it is a gift. Uh, then you can think of something like Acts 11.8, uh, where um, uh, the disciples were wrestling with the issue of whether the Gentiles also should receive the gospel. And when it became very clear that they should, they said, then God has also granted repentance Uh, granted to the Gentiles repentance unto life. But this idea of he grants them repentance. So again, very clear that both faith and repentance are, to use the catechism language, saving graces. Grace is something that you're given that's unmerited favor, something that you don't deserve, and in both cases they are salvific. So that's just kind of setting the stage. But let's go ahead and define a little bit of what conversion is. How would you describe. I mean, we use that word all the time. It seems to be the number one thing that drives certain evangelicals. It's all about getting conversions, that kind of stuff. So the question is, what is a conversion? Ah, That's a pretty good metaphor. Scripture uses that. Death and rebirth. Yeah, no doubt about it. Go beyond the metaphor. Ah, it's a change. Change in in what regard? Okay, so feeling sorry for sin. I want to take that component. Can I park it? I'm going to park it. We're going to look at that. But yeah, conversion as a whole is in fact, I think where Rob is going is is correct. Uh, I'm going to use a a standard definition here that says, it is complete revolution in the mind, heart, and soul of man, whereby a sinner turns from all self-esteem and confidence to trust in Christ alone for salvation. So this idea of a complete change is what you were getting at. It's not partial. It's, you know, complete turnaround. So uh, absolutely. And the component that you're talking about, Tegan, I'm going to hold on to that. I want us to look at it because when we talk about this complete revolution, we're going to do it along three lines. And this is where I get into a little bit of trouble because I don't have space to write up here. But I want to be able to do so. So I'm going to have to try to fit something in here in the corner, see if we can do this. But yeah, you know, you've got your little man here. He's been walking on the broad way to hell. And what he's going to do is he's going to turn around literally 180 degrees. And now he's going to start going on the narrow path to heaven and to Christ and so on, right? What does that radical change entail? Well, there's three things. Three things. And we're going to use them along the lines. We're going to look at each side. You remember we talked earlier about... Uh, At the very beginning when we talked about human beings, orthodoxy, orthopraxy, orthopathos, right belief, right uh, uh, practice, right feeling. You guys remember that a little bit? No, it was a long time ago and that kind of thing. But that's what we're going to be doing. We're going to be looking at what has to happen to be a, a real conversion along those lines So along the lines, uh, I'm just out of room here, but along the lines of orth, yeah, it's too small for you guys to even see. But let's just say knowledge, along the lines of knowledge, orthodoxy. You know what, I'm not even going to write it up there. As I said, certain things are going to have to happen, but the person has to see, if you look at the catechism questions that we just read and taken apart, the person has to um, understand their own condition. They have to understand on this side the fallenness and um, the sinfulness of our condition. They have to be able to apprehend fully what it means to, to be a sinner, the consequences of it, and so on. So they have to be able to see that. And on the flip side, they have to understand the answer to that, which is the gospel the good news of Christ, they have to understand who he is and what he has done. Can you see the importance of that? So that, that's strictly in the sense of, of knowledge, right? Uh, the, uh, because the Holy Spirit has regenerated the person, remember here, regeneration, given them new abilities, they're now able to do things that they could not before, and that person can begin to understand themselves as they truly are and understand Jesus as he truly is. So you need those two things. Are we tracking? Okay. Okay. Sometimes I'm just kind of out there and it's really quiet. you don't know. But then in the realm of feeling, it's not enough to just know that. Again, this is kind of small. We really don't have a whole lot of room. The person has to feel... There's taken back then. You keep moving on. <laughs> the person has to feel true sorrow, true brokenness, really um, not just understand, you know, with their with their mind, uh, their fallen condition, and be able to recite it and all that, but truly to feel that brokenness. Um, you know, recognize that they really have hurt and injured God. Just you know, it's like any relationship. Uh, And when you do something or say something that's hurtful, and finally that remorse, that real sense of of grief and loss and so on, that has to be there. Um, On the flip side then, there has to be then a real feeling that you need Christ and that you want Christ and that you desire Christ. So again, that aspect of who we are and what we feel matters. Uh, So that aspect of not just the revulsion of our sin, but the beauty of Christ and our desire for him. That goes beyond just simply academic apprehension, but a true feeling of true, uh, um, you know, sense of of desire for him, right? And then the last thing that has to happen has to be action, has to be action. The person has to, let me just kind of put that out, uh, put that there, Um. So, you know, orthodoxy, right knowledge, ortho, in this case, orthopathos, right feeling, but then orthopraxis, right behavior, right action. And so a person who is converted then uh, has to turn away from their sin, turn away from the paths of death and so on. Instead, has to turn fully to Christ and rely upon the finished work of Christ. So when we talk about conversion, if you look uh, at the two catechism questions and we're collapsing them one into the other, uh, you see those two things. So repentance can uh, literally, if you look at the question, again, uh, whereby a sinner out of, uh, you know, repentance unto life is a saving grace, whereby a sinner out of a true sense of a sin. So there's that true sense of your sin. You recognize and understand and feel what it is, but it also says an appreh- apprehension. Remember, apprehension means grabbing a hold of. Apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ does with grief and hatred of a sin turn from it unto God with full purpose of and endeavor after. So let's, take away, let's get rid of the endeavor after. With the full purpose of new obedience, but also the endeavor. Continuing. You, you want to, and you will pursue obedience. So repentance and faith are two two different things, but they always go together. You turn away in disgust from the way that you used to live, and you turn to Christ and you rest upon what it is that he has done, recognizing that you have no hope outside of him. So a conversion always has to have those different aspects. Any questions about that? That's is sort of like the basic part of what we're discussing here. And I want to say a few things from that, but we want to Make sure that we got that nailed down. You know, your emotions, your feeling, that kind of thing. But what it shows us is that to use what Rob was saying when he talked about it was complete change, we're showing, again, that it has to be the whole person. The whole person is involved in that transition. And, again, um, yeah, I'll look in a moment. I want to kind of look in a moment at, because the conversion is such a big deal, um, in certain denominations where they're always you know, drumming up and talking about that and so on. And we wanna look at, well, what does the Bible say about conversion? Is it possible that there are false conversions out there given you know what we see? I wanna examine that, but we wanna be sure that we've got this down. So you gotta understand your own self, understand then your need for Christ. You have to feel a real remorse and hatred for your sin and a real desire uh, and passion for him. And then the actual action, turning away from your old ways and instead turning and grabbing a hold of Christ. So we've got that. That's all good. Okay. Well, there are certain things that then stand out when we talk about that. The first one, and this is absolutely clear, is that conversion is an act of human beings. We are the ones who do what's necessary in conversion. We exercise faith. We exercise repentance. It's not God who repents. It's not God who believes. It is the sinner who believes. And this is an important point because the caricature often that's made of, of Calvinism or, you know, Reformed or whatever is that in our overemphasis or zeal for God, we've forgotten man. We've removed his liberty. We've removed his freedom of the will and so on. And I've been saying all throughout that's not the case. If you look at our Westminster Confession um there's a whole chapter, and not the catechism, catechisms are all the questions, but the confession is written in chapters. Chapter 9, a whole chapter on free will. And when we looked last week at regeneration, we saw how God can move a person to ultimately trust and, uh, and repent, but that is a free act of that person's will. So I won't repeat all that next, uh, uh, that we talked about last week. But the point simply is that, yes, God does work and give us a new, new uh, nature, makes us a new creation. He gives us, therefore, new desires and inclinations and wants. But it is him, you know, his work that made that happen. The result is that we freely choose these things. So this is an act of, of the human being. And this is so important because what it tells us is that then we must preach the gospel clearly. We must call people to conversion. Uh, there are, again, caricatures, uh, even within the Reformed community, of, well, since God is sovereign, there's no reason to preach. No, absolutely. the Scripture makes clear that we must believe. We must repent. And so we have to call people to that. We recognize that they won't be able to respond unless the Holy Spirit changes them, but respond they must if they're going to be saved. So we do call them to that. That's a very important point. So, uh, uh, conversion, that is to say act of faith and act of repentance is an act of the sinner not of God. He doesn't do it. But the flip side is the one that we've already said which is there's no praise that should be given to the sinner because in the end he or she was enabled by God to do that. So we can't take any any credit for having done it. We can't you know, pat ourselves on the back of having been you know, more astute than other people in our conversion. Rather, it's all because God has enabled us to do that. And with that new nature, we can no longer resist. Some of you um, are familiar with the so-called five points of Calvin, tulip. And you know that the I in tulip is irresistible grace. It's the idea that when the Holy Spirit does work in you, you will respond with all these things. And that, again, sounds like it's um, coercion. And that it's not free will. But no, if you think about it, it's irresistible because once you're able to see something that's true, how can you resist not knowing that it's true? You now know that it's true, so how can you resist it, right? And how can you resist what you now desire? If you've been given a new nature where you now detest your sin and you desire Christ, how can you resist it? That's your new desire, so you're going to go there naturally, right? Right? And if you now detest your sin and want to leave it behind because you want to do that and you want to turn to, you know, following Christ and and new obedience and so on, you don't resist because that's in your desire. So you see how that works is going back to regeneration. When we're given that new nature, those new desires are ours. They are innate, and we act in accord with them freely. And that's how you end up not able to resist. Does that make sense? So it's not that you were sitting there and saying, I don't want to do that and God coerces you and, oh, I guess I have to sign this, the, you know, the little certificate that says I was saved on this date, but I don't want to, you know. No, you want to do all these things. They're just kind of natural, right? Um, oh, I already read from um, Acts eleven 18, didn't I? Oh, and in Ephesians 2, 8, I read them earlier. Um, you know, for by grace you have been saved through faith and not, not of yourself, it is the gift of God. So, it's important to recognize that it is our responsibility to repent, our responsibility to believe, but it is also our responsibility to praise God, to give him all the glory, because what we have from him is that new nature, which enabled us to repent and to believe. Does that make sense? Okay, so good so far? You guys are extraordinarily quiet today. It worries me. Makes me think something's going on. All right. Well, that means we have time to talk about the difference between true conversion and false conversion. Okay? So let's kind of jump into that. This actually won't take us too long. Wow, we're going to end up early today. So the way I want to do that is I want us to look at these three things. And so have any of you ever been in one of those denominations where conversions is like the number one goal? It seems to be the, um, okay. Have you ever experienced, maybe even in your own life, but have you ever met somebody or experienced someone where you thought, that conversion may not be genuine? Okay. What were some of the factors that you saw that made you think that? Okay, so their behavior, their thinking patterns. Russ? Okay, a focus on one's feelings, perhaps almost exclusively in the absence of some other things. So a particular action, whether it be baptism, for some people it's you said this particular prayer. Right, right. The the, the baptism itself saves you. The, the prayer saves you, the signing, the little certificate. Let me go um, first in the back, I think I saw first, Rod. Right, almost as a justification or... Um, Yeah, rationale for continuing down that path. Jesse? Okay. All of you have hit different aspects, if you've noticed, of these three things. Um, The lack of one of those things, lack of knowledge, lack of right action, so lack of orthodoxy, lack of um, orthopraxy, lack of orthopathos, the right feeling an over-reliance on certain things. So, I think those things are all right on the head. So, you know, I think you can look at them and, and say, for example, take a person who understands Christian doctrine very, very well. Uh, they might understand that hell is real. They might understand that man has fallen. They might understand that we deserve our condemnation. They might understand that the gospel is, that Jesus is the answer to that. They have all those things academically, but... There's no real feeling and no real behavior uh, in that regard. Uh, That person uh, may think that they're converted because they have that, but that's not a real conversion. Um, When I first got here in 2005, uh, we planted a church almost immediately by 2006 in Denton. And interestingly, you know, um, I wanted to do a church plant when I was candidating. It was clear that we needed it. Uh, the Presbytery wanted to do it like the m- month after I arrived. I arrived in July 2005 and August. They were, okay, we're ready to do it. And I was like, eh, it's a little too soon. But they were going to do it anyway. So we're like, okay, we might as well go along for the ride. And um, therefore it happened quickly. And one of the things you do in church planning is uh, you take the church planter and you have him begin to coalesce, you know, bring a group together. So we had about maybe 45% of our people were Dentonites. And we sent them off with uh, with this church planner uh, Dave Wilson was his name is his name and some of those folks I really didn't get to know very well because almost immediately they were with Dave and they were off doing the thing and, and um, for the first you know three or so years while the church the church plant is not um, uh, self sufficient and so on um, they answered to us here to our session, so Dave would give reports of what was going on with the church plant and um Fairly early on, uh, he let us know that there was a gentleman who had been here, I don't know how long before I got here, but I had only overlapped with him maybe six months. I didn't know him terribly well. And he mentioned that this person was leaving the church, but not just leaving the church, but demitting the faith. And, uh, you know, that's a very serious thing, walking away from Christianity. We wanted to know and, you know, and we wanted to look into it. So we began to look into it. And he had written a very articulate letter. And he said that he very much enjoyed uh, the previous pastor. (laughs) So as pastors were kind of used to that. Um, He liked the preaching of the previous pastor. It was very orderly, you know, a lot of good um, doctrine. And and he said he just fell in love with this idea of doctrine and and, and how orderly it came. And he says then John came and he started preaching that you have to do something with it. And so I didn't want to do that. So he left with the church planter. But then the church planter was doing the same thing. You have to do something with it, and then he realized, I'm not really a Christian, which is probably a good thing for him to to realize. A bad thing for him to leave the faith, but did he really leave it? He never really had it. It seems from his own admission that what he loved was the orderliness of the doctrine. He could repeat it, and he could do all that other stuff, but there didn't seem to be any real change in his life and his behavior and his action. It was all head knowledge. So if a person knows all the right things, that does not mean that the conversion is real. And one of the places you can see that is in seminaries all and religion departments all across the United States. Guys out there studying the Bible, writing commentaries, study Bibles and all that, and they're not believers. You also see it in pulpits. Uh, one of my profs, anybody ever heard of Steve Brown, Key Life Ministries? Okay, he's a little older, so maybe, you know, some of the younger crowd hasn't heard that. Uh, Now he's got podcasts and all that, and he's got young people on the show with him and all that. But Steve Brown um, says that he was a minister for 10 years before he was converted. And uh, he would preach the gospel, and he would uh, baptize, and he would do all those things, but he didn't believe in himself. Uh, his confidence was in the fact that he knew the right things and he was doing the right things in terms of his ministerial labors, but no actual trust in Christ. So just knowing it is not enough, right? How about the feeling? It? How about the feeling? And um, I think there was you, Russ, that was talking about the highly emotional experience and that kind kind of thing. Um, there are, you know, there are folks who put all their emphasis on that kind of um, um, experience. And uh, I just lost myself here in my notes. So, you know, um, you can actually I'll find where I'm at. Still couldn't find it. But um, you can actually feel remorse for your sin. And you see that every time you see one of these Hollywood people get up there and say, sorry, you know, that I did this or I said that. And and, and and maybe there is real remorse for having gotten caught or you know or so on, and, uh, uh, and 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 you know there are times where they can even sit there and say, wow, you know uh, everything that people do in church and all that excitement gets them, but there's no real understanding of what the gospel entails, and um, uh, this is you know a sad thing. You sometimes run into this in the mission field, you know, and. With pagans, they might very well know that something is seriously broken with them and with others and that they need something else. The feeling is there, uh, but they lack the knowledge. They do not know the gospel. They do not know the good news of Christ. So that's one of the things that you see happen a lot. And then on the last one, on action, uh, you know, you might have somebody sit there and say, I've got to try harder. I just have to turn a new leaf. I can't keep, keep on going this way. We see this again and again. One of the things, and I'm not saying that this is new, but one of the things that modernism has brought to us is all these compulsions, all these different uh, behaviors. We think of addictive behaviors like substance abuse and so on, but there are many other things. And again, I'm not saying that those things did not exist before, but uh, maybe a story for another day why we uh, are more into those things and so on. But you see again and again and again and again people trying to get out of those behaviors. And what happens? They try and they can buckle down and just for a little, you know, a little while, sometimes for a long while they're able to hold it, and then they fall back into those behaviors and so on and so on and so on. And there doesn't seem to be any real ability to defeat it. Uh, You can now, you say, wait a minute, John, I've been to AA, you know, and this guy has been sober for 40 years. Uh, You ever notice what they say in an AA meeting when a guy stands up and says, hi, I'm John, and I'm? So even if they've managed by sheer will to not take a drink, what they haven't been able to do is convert themselves. But they're very omission they are still an alcoholic or a sex addict or a gambler or you know whatever and we can go right down the line. So um, you determine that you want to change but you haven't really, again, understood where the real need is and you haven't really embraced the only way that that can actually happen. Can you see that? So in all these different things, what you end up with is a person apprehending or grabbing a hold of only one of these things, and so as I asked you for these different examples of uh, of what you've seen in your own life, you know, your own experience, I should say, uh, with others, maybe even with yourself, a false conversion is, yes, one of those things is active, but the others are not, and when that happens, we do end up with a, uh, uh, unfortunately, with a false conversion, and uh, many denominations, and I think um, we'll wrap it up with this. Um, seem to really put a lot of focus on that experience, on that date, on, you know, the moment where you can sit there and say, it happened on this day and so on. But one of the things that we see in Scripture is that conversion itself is something that does not have to be, you know, uh, you know, like a fireworks display going off. Uh, It could happen uh, gradually. And, And, you know, a person comes to a growing apprehension of, uh, growing a, a sense of their own sin and their own guilt and growing uh, apprehension of Christ and their need for Christ and so on. And so those things develop. And before you know it, the person is a, is a, a believer. Um, there are many, many believers who are unable uh, to be able to tell exactly the moment of their conversion. And yet, you know, because of this emphasis that comes out of the Second Great Awakening, which started in 1800, and here we are 223 years later and still suffering the effects of it, there's this, this focus on you have to be able to say the date and the time and maybe have a little certificate and all this other stuff which you can frame. And that puts real undue pressure on a lot of people, and some even begin to question their assurance. So, the better question is this when we talk about faith and repentance, and I see Brandon walking away, but Brandon, when we talk about faith and repentance, we're talking about what? When we're talking about faith and repentance, we're talking about what? The Texas two step. I don't even know what a two step is, but uh, it always happens, right? Faith and repentance. Conversion is just the initial exercise of faith and repentance, but the Christian's life is characterized by ongoing faith and repentance. And this is so, so very important. It's what makes the gospel central. The gospel, the good news about what Jesus has done, which leads us to repent and leads us to believe, is not just at the entry of the Christian life, and something that then we exercise and then we set it aside, only to bring out, to offer to Unbelievers, but is an ongoing part. And when you get that, it frees you up. Because so many Christians are trying so hard to be good, trying so hard to do everything just right in their own strength. And we have to come to realize that, you know, somebody like me, I can't be a good father. I can't be a good son. I can't be a good husband. I can't be a good uh, citizen. I can't be a good pastor. I can't be a good any of those things in my own strength today any more than I could have when I was first converted i need to rely on the finished work of christ today in order to be those things i need to turn from my failures of today and of yesterday and again embrace the gospel and embrace what christ has done for me and find in him and so that ongoing action of conversion i mean of faith and repentance goes beyond your conversion The conversion is something that happens initially on some day and, you know, whatever, even if you can't remember if it was gradual. But um, the ongoing faith and repentance, that's what you can see in a person's life. And so I may not be able to sit there and say this is the day. Some of you who grew up in Christian homes with Christian parents who were faithful in, 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 you know, raising you in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, instructing you, teaching you, modeling for you the Christian life, you may not be... um, as able as somebody who had been living uh, um, a profligate life and really, you know, um, doing things that became very dramatic and obvious when they finally flipped, to be able to say that was before and that was and that's now, you may not be able to say that, but that doesn't matter. When you sit there and you say assurance, what you do is you look: is this person regularly exercising faith and repentance? That's what you see in your life. Do you see this happening? That switch where they. Understand the right things more and more and more. And they are feeling a desire to pursue Christ and they long for Him more and more and more. And they are grabbing a hold of what He's done, turning aside, turning behind, or leaving behind the old way more and more and more. And if you see that, that's your evidence much more of conversion than being able to point to one spectacular moment, you know, where the fireworks went off and the cannons and all that other stuff. Right? Is that a hand, Chelsea? No, that was just a there we go, a wave thing. So I say that not to knock these denominations, which I think are right and, and emphasizing that it's not just enough to preach right doctrine. We must call men to put their faith in Christ. We must call people uh, to repentance. Uh, but that can almost in some places take an over em not almost, in some places it becomes an overemphasized point. Um, and becomes the end goal of everything. Uh, Almost to the point where sometimes you can even have multiple conversions for one person. Uh, That kind of stuff. So, good. Any questions about any of this? Well, we're going to see that as we start jumping into these other things and especially get to sanctification. But if you look at question 87, you know, where it talks about, you know, you have a real sense of all, you know, the sin and so on and so on. And then with grief and hatred of your sin, you turn from it unto God with full purpose of an endeavor after new obedience. Uh, It recognizes that you have that desire and you want to shoot for it. But the reason that that word endeavor is on there is because it is an endeavor. And we don't fully grab a hold of everything. Uh, We don't always believe. And so at times, you know, if you think about it, every time you sin, there is a lack of faith. It's a lack of belief. It's a lack of trust. Uh, so you know, if you look at it from that perspective. So we do have these failures. But in general, your pattern is one of this new nature where you're acting you know, along those lines. Um, if, if you're asking me to explain why God does that, why when we don't flip, we're not then perfect in our obedience, perfect in our knowledge, perfect in our feeling. In other words, perfect orthodoxy, perfect orthopathos, perfect orthopraxy. We're never given an answer in Scripture, but I do think that we can um, infer in other words we're never given a direct answer you know Paul doesn't sit there and say here's why, but I think we can infer the answer and the answer is for us if you look at Ephesians four that talks about us growing and being built up to the more to the um, uh, full maturity which is then measured by Christ it's because through that process we learn more and more and more the lessons that it's not us and it's all God, and he has to kind of that by, you know, getting that in. Now, you might say, well, he could have just flipped us to have a perfect mind, and we would have understood that. But then you have perfect people on earth, then you get into the whole question, like, why did he not, um, uh, why did not Jesus, you know, remain here in his perfected state, had to, you know, had to ascend to the Father, and so on, and on and on and on. So even though I don't have every answer, I can sit there and say, I think what God wants us to do is to experience, not just know, but experience our failure so it becomes very, very clear that we are fully reliant upon him, um, if that makes sense. Yeah, uh, these guys, I think they knew what they were doing. Um, when I see, you know, I hear of a church that, that writes a doctrinal statement on the weekend, you know, the pastor and a couple of guys were at the restaurant, and they work out on a napkin, their general, um, uh, you know, then they give it to the secretary who types it up. I mean, these guys spent a decade, and and it's not that they started fresh. They already had all this stuff for, you know, for a hundred years. Folks have been working on theology and writing catechisms, and they sort of distilled it over the course of a decade. Um, I think they do a good job. And again, those commas are your friend. Those are the bullet points um, for today's way of writing. So good. Good question. Anything else? We've got conversion down, faith and repentance. Okay, next week we will be returning to question 32 so that we can continue on our um, uh, journey through the Ordo Salutis. But for now, I think uh, we're going to call it a day. And there's no other questions. Uh, nope, Lang, okay, thought Lang was doing something, but he's just waving at Robin. They're doing the thing. All right, let's go ahead and pray and we'll get out of here two minutes early. Can you imagine that? Amazing, let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that you have called us to repentance, you have called us to exercise faith in Jesus Christ, and we know from uh, our own experience that it's something that we would not have done on our own, and we thank you that you gave us a new heart, that you took out that heart of stone and replaced it with a heart of flesh, gave us a new desire, you gave us that new birth that enabled us uh, to turn from the old ways and unto the new. Uh, But Father, as Rob reminded us, that is not yet perfectly um, fulfilled in us. And we increasingly long to do that. We can even often say that we long to repent more uh, and to feel greater sorrow for our sin uh, so that we might indeed desire to pursue you. All these things are from you. And and we we feel pretty confident, Lord, that this is the case so that we could continually learn, uh, not just with our heads, but with our hearts, uh, reliance upon you and to give you all the praise and glory for your sovereign care over us. We pray, Lord, that you would continue uh, to do that great work in us, and we pray, Lord, that we would be able to uh, effectively do that Texas two-step as a regular part of of our lives through your enabling. Help us to see more clearly what it is then that we do to give you the praise because it was all possible because of what you have done. And we pray this, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.